Hello and welcome to the Middlemen podcast, taking you ringside, pitch side and sharing a unique journalistic perspective on sport. I'm Noah Abrahams. And I'm Max Taylor. In this week's episode, we pay attention to those who are in form from boxing to football with Canelo Alvarez having his fight against Avni Yildirim on the weekend and also paying attention to West Ham United who are having a brilliant season. Someone who joined us to speak more about that was Jack Hobbs, co-host of the Talking Irons podcast and a writer for Green Street Hammers. So we went into detail about both things and it's a great episode. Well, let's start with the boxing. So it hasn't been the best couple of weeks for British boxers named Josh. On last week's podcast, we went over Josh Warrington's shock featherweight defeat to Maurizio Lara. We also previewed Josh Kelly versus the EBU European welterweight champion David Avanissian. That fight, like the Warrington bout, took place in London at the Wembley Arena. And Avanissian's instructions were basically, I mean, they were from Carl Greaves, to not let Kelly breathe, uh, which sounds crazy, but that's exactly what Greaves said. Avanissian's fought 128 more rounds than Kelly. So fair play uh, to Pretty Boy for stepping up, taking that step and for fighting at that level. You've got to give him credit for that. And I'm going to say, thankfully, the fight was stopped. Kelly's corner threw in the towel after two knockdowns in the sixth round. Kelly's first professional defeat, of course, Vermeer looked like he just couldn't cope, Kelly, with the increasing pressure that he was being put under. What did you make of the fight, Max? Well, I think the experience that Avanissian has and the risk everybody was expecting going into this fight is exactly what was the downfall of Kelly here. Um, the ability for of Avanissian to be able to soak up the pressure, the long-range shots that he was getting caught with, you know. Let's, let's not forget that Kelly was performing fantastically. I think... He looked really good, really sharp in the first three rounds. And I, I thought, wow, I wasn't really expecting to see Avanissian make him look uh, as good as he was. And Kelly looked comfortable, but that's, that's experience talking when you're able to soak up all of that and then turn it back against your opponent in the later rounds and in the rounds where they're less uncomfortable and, you know, they're not as, as sharp as they are. So uh, Avanissian took full advantage of that and it, he got the win. I think it was a brilliant game plan. And as you said, he got the instructions to not let him breathe. I think that pressure was fantastic and it was ultimately what paid off. Uh, look, Kelly's a former Olympian. He's got an incredible amateur background and we know that. And, and he's no stranger to taking a few tough shots. Um, but Adam Booth, Kelly's trainer, thought, and, and Adam Booth, by the way, is a so-called kind of tactical master. He's led the likes of Carl Greaves and uh, David Hay to world titles. And he, he threw in the towel for Kelly. He, he thought Kelly had taken too much, too much punishment and, and, and had to stop. And that's been a big talking point the last few weeks. Our uh, corners, Max, equally as responsible for ensuring the safety of a fighter. Josh Warrington's corner were heavily criticised for not throwing in the towel with the bout with Lara. Howard Foster had to intervene on that one. And on the Kelly undercard as well, welterweight Ryan Charlton's corner threw in the towel. So um, is it the right thing to do just to throw in the towel, admit defeat and, and to do what's best for the boxer? I think it definitely is. If you don't think it is, then you need to reassess where your values are in boxing because it's careless not to. And I think it. I think it's the focal point and uh, the main place where the boxer's welfare is at the forefront um, and at, at the best interest, you know. Uh, Adam Booth wanted to take care of him. And I, I think um, the care for the boxer in from the corner has to take precedent more than the boxers care for themselves does because they can be stubborn on things. 
boxers. They got that Warriors mentality. So they can, you, you know, you saw it in the Warrington fight. They can be out on their feet and still want to carry on. So you need somebody um, that is going to take care of that boxer the best they are. And that man came uh, in the form of Adam Booth on the Kelly fight. I think he's done a fantastic job. Uh, the same with Ryland Charlton's corner. You know, he got knocked uh, numerous times and stunned numerous times in that fight when I thought he was about to go down. Um, you know, there's knockdowns in that fight and that is, you know, it's the, it's the hurt game, it's the pain game. So there has to be a level of care in it and it's just refreshing. Oh yeah, well, it is refreshing to see corners actually start throwing in the towel. Um, it came as frequently as twice on that card, but it's it's nice to know that the corners really do care for their fighters. I mean, it was interesting when Daniel Dubois took the knee against Joe Joyce and everyone said that, well, not everyone. I, I think a few people said that Daniel Dubois had maybe taken the loser's option and the, the easy option and the easy way out after Joyce landed uh, some pretty nasty punches to his eye. Um, but it, it, safety in this sport really is important. It, it, it does save lives. I mean, I watched the Chris Eubank a documentary with Piers Morgan during the week and he was talking about the fight with Watson and uh, the damage that he caused to Watson obviously he didn't do it on purpose but boxing is a dangerous game and I think it's something that although yes it's it's very exciting when there's a slugfest and they're going toe-to-toe but I think we have got to remember that this is a seriously dangerous sport at times. Yeah it is and I think it is most you know every every combat sport is uh, we definitely do need to remember that it is the pain game, as I said. Boxing has a history of uh, people falling victim to long-term injuries and passing away from the uh, injuries, and you know that have been caused by punches that they've picked up over their career. So it's nice to know that in this modern day, uh, people know that they recognise it, and when that ever looks like it could stain uh, a boxer's long-term health, when a fight looks like that, towels almost go in straight away, or there will be boxers that are sensible enough like Daniel Dubois who take a knee and, um, you know, live to fight another day, especially when they're young. I, I hate to see it, um, you know, when they're young, people just, boxers going for all-out wars. Let's remember Kelly's 26. So he has plenty of, uh, he has more than enough time in the game. The average age of retirement for a boxer is 37. So he has, according to that, he almost has a decade left in this game. So there's no point picking up injuries that are going to, you know, hinder him later on in his career. It's, it's completely pointless because we've seen the potential that he can reach. And, you know, with Adam Booth not throwing in that towel, then potentially he might not even reach what he could um, by picking up a, an injury and going even more rounds and uh, getting hit with more punishment from Avanesian. Well, Florian Marcus, 29, so still got a, quite a bit left in the tank. And uh, he stopped Ryan Charlton. Charlton's corner threw in the towel. I'll be honest, I haven't seen an awful lot of Marku, what he has to offer. But he does look like a promising welterweight candidate. Uh, he called out Conor Ben after the fight. Uh, and Ben goes to battle with Samuel Vargas in April. Uh, and, and he's just had a baby boy, so he's pretty busy at the moment. But would Marku stand a chance against Ben, Max? Um, I think that's it's way too. Although he's twenty nine, it's too early in Marku's career to be taking fights like that. Um, you know, I think it is applauded when when risks exactly like the risk that Kelly took um, in that fight. When when risks are taken in the sport, because it doesn't happen that often now, it gets applauded. But I think it would just be a, a pointless risk for Ben in his career. You know, he's a 
going at one point in a one path in his career. And I think uh, Marku's nowhere near or there's no point for him to kind of get involved and uh, intercept that path yet. But give it a few years. If Marku stays in the form and keeps turning out the results that he does, I think it was a fantastic performance against Charlton. I, I really thought it was a 50-50 fight going into it. But he made it look like, you know, he should have been the favourite and nobody should have doubted him. He looked levels above. Although I don't think it is Ben's level yet. I think um, some more development in the game. You know, given his background, he's a former kickboxer. I think that kind of composure, that calmness in the ring um, showed that he's got a combat sports background. And uh, if, if he keeps working and, and he keeps it up, then who knows? We, we, might, we, might, we might be able to see that fight later down the line. Yeah, it certainly would be a risk uh, for Conor Ben. And speaking of risks, we'll go on to uh, Sul Canelo Alvarez versus Abney Yildirim and discuss uh, that virtually non-existent risk uh, for Canelo. But let's just finish off with the Kelly talk uh, by really discussing what's next for Pretty Boy. I mean, he's lost at 26 years old. He's got a big future ahead of him and it he, he was a step up against Abney. And what's next for him, Max? Well, you know, I, I think... Although he's got a loss, yeah, and even one loss is a massive setback in the career of a modern boxer. I think he's he's still got uh, the the world at his feet, you know, the the world's his oyster. He's got loads of different fights that he he can make. He's got Eddie Hearn, one of the best in the game, looking out for him and giving him these matches. You know, he gave him the opportunity of a lifetime uh, in this fight against Avanisi, and it was a career defining fight for him. So I think if he has more of those type of fights with a little less risk so he can kind of get that experience, but with wins under his belt at the same time, then um, he, he can go on to achieve the potential that so many believe that he can. So I don't, you know, I, I can put a name on it right now and say who he should fight. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I think him and Adam Booth are also going to go in and have a look whilst they hone in on his skills. But I think, you know, maybe just stay at British level for the time being because he made that jump from, you know, straight up to European level. So I think maybe kind of get that British experience in, get a few years under his belt there, and then he can start advancing, looking at European and eventually world stage. And for David Avanesian, uh, I mean, he fought with real heart and I don't think anyone can dislike him uh, after. I, th- I don't think a lot of people knew who he was, but uh, personally speaking, I learned a bit about his journey and the build up to that fight and uh, how hard he's had to graft to, to get to where he is today. What's next for Avanesian? He's got a great man uh, in Greaves in his corner. So how far can he go? Will he get a title shot, Max? Um, well, you know, he, he's defended his European belt once again. I don't see, I, I, I don't know about world stage, but I think every fight has to be forward. He can't be taking any step backs. And I think fighting somebody with the profile of uh, another type of Kelly who isn't, you know, it's not really a step up for him. Uh, I think that's pointless. I think he needs to be going for the big names now, even if he doesn't get them. Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, you see at the top, Porter, uh, Spence, Crawford, Pacquiao. Okay, I think, I'm not sure how Avenison would do against them, but he should be looking at the rankings and kind of, you know, feeling like he should belong there and start calling out these people, start making a name for himself. Then he starts getting attraction and bigger matchups down the line. Uh, you know, he's in, in his 30s now. So I think, as I said, every fight has to be forward and he, he can't be losing if, if he wants to... Uh, get to World Sage because it, it takes, even from European level, it takes a couple of years to get there. So um, by then it, it'll be getting on a little bit. So I think, yeah, he has to be positive with every fight he gets and it has to be big names, big names from here. And, 
we might see Avanesian be a world title contender before long. Well, good stuff. We'll look forward to seeing where those two uh, end up in the next few years. Let's go on to the world stage and let's talk Canelo Alvarez uh, versus Avni Yildirim. We, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but it's for Canelo's WBC, WBA Super and Ring Magazine World Super Middleweight titles in Florida. So plenty on the line. Uh, Turkey's Yildirim has lost 23 times, but he's the mandatory challenger for this WBC strap. And so it's it's about that. Uh, Canelo has to take seriously. I mean, look, he's only ever lost to Floyd Mayweather and uh, he, he beat uh, the undefeated Callum Smith in December, but he has to take this seriously, doesn't he? Of course, but I think that mentality of being serious is instilled to him in his camp with Eddie Reynolds. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not low-key. Obviously, they are very much in the public eye, especially when they um, uh, when fight week comes up. But I think... I don't think um, he overlooks anybody when a challenge is in front of Canelo. He takes it and he makes sure he succeeds. That's just the type of boxer he is. So don't think he'll be, well, of course, he'll be looking past the older in uh, to a degree because he'll be wanting the bigger fights, the bigger names. Obviously, Billy Joe Saunders is should be set to go now later this year. So I think he he's looking at that, but he knows what he has to deal with uh, and he knows he has to get past this mandatory challenge, which is, you know, I think a bit of a hindrance on his career as well, being 30 and, you know, wanting to take over the super middleweight division. It's a bit annoying that he has to spend fights doing this, but this is uh, the age of boxing that we're in. He has to do his governing body duties. And when he does it, he'll be establishing establishing himself and reminding us as to why he is the face of boxing and the pound for pound, for pound best in the world. Well said. It really is going to be a David versus Goliath kind of fight. Uh, what are your predictions? Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> Canelo takes it uh, pretty easily. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. You know, but stars make fights. I, I don't think. I don't think that phrase is enough for Yildirim to cause any sort of an upset. But you know, it, it might be so that he. He might he might avoid a, a KO. I think I think that's what you should be focused on. You know, uh, focus on being really defensive, not being cautious early on, uh, making no mistakes. This is let's let's not forget this is the opportunity of a lifetime for him. You know, who who, who thought after coming off a loss, his, his last fight was a loss, uh, and now he gets to face Canelo. So you know he, he should be taking this opportunity with with two hands. And look what we've seen over the past month. We've seen Warrington lose. When I when I look at when Matchroom released all those cards from now up until April and I saw Warrington versus Lara on there, I thought, well, that's that's the most one-sided fight there is. And and look how that turned out. So True. for anyone who's thinking Yildirim Canelo is, is a one-sided fight, I think, you know, who, who knows? Yildirim might have it in him to say, what for? This is me, you know? And he, I, you see, if you go on socials, you see the amount of support that man gets. So uh, a lot of people are backing him. I don't think he'll cause an upset, but it's there. Look, it's it's a it's a chaotic, uh, weird time that we live in, so anything's possible. Now, from ringside to pitch side, our guest this week is the founder of Irons Bible, the host of the Talking Irons podcast and Green Street Hammers journalist, Jack Hobbs. Hobbsy, thank you for joining us. Oh, um, thank you for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure bet, to be here. I bet you're on cloud nine at the moment. Oh, definitely, mate. I, I'm absolutely buzzing with how the team's doing. It's unheard of territory, this is. Uh, I'm sure it's helping you through lockdown. Um, this Definitely. is West Ham's 
Best start to the season since 85-86. Jesse Lingard's on fire. Antonio's fit. Suchek's been incredible. And not only are you fourth at this time of recording, but you're only four points off second. And from an outsider's point of view, I look in and think, okay, West Ham, they're playing as a team. They're enjoying their football. Uh, They know their roles. And from everyone, from Moyes to Jared Bowen, they really look like they care. So what's been different this year, Jack? Yeah, I think as you said that this is like, it's just the teamwork and the atmosphere around the club. Like personally as a fan, this is the best atmosphere around a team I've ever seen. Like the boys, they're all together. They, they, they work for one another. They care. And they all seem to like love the club and they want to play for their badge, which is all we've, all fans, all we've ever wanted, really. So that's what we've been we've been asking for for like, the last couple of teams, really, and they've not been able to deliver that. But these lot seem to really care and they, they want to work for the manager and they want to work for the club. And I think that's that's what's been pushing us on this season, to be honest. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, obviously, you spoke about Noah touched on what's been the difference in terms of the team. But obviously, this is Moise's second stint. I wanted to know, you know, what do you think has been the difference in his, his management? Is it his management or the you know, the character coming back, I think obviously he's been a catalyst to your success this season. So mm. what's been behind that, do you think? Um, yeah, I think he's learned from his first spell, like what to do and what not to do, really. He kept us up last time, which we're all grateful for, but we didn't feel he was the right man to um, to push us on, which was the right decision in many respects because he returned to a much better team than he inherited the first time. And if he had stayed, I can pretty much guarantee the players we brought in under Pellegrini would not have come in under him. So something that needed to have needed to have happened, and um, he's, I think he's benefited from that. But he's definitely worked on his sort of tactics and stuff like that because the first time there were some very debatable performances and some debatable lineups, which still happened. Still happen at the moment, but obviously now we've got the quality to avoid those dodgy results like last time. So I think, yeah, like you said, he's, he's definitely learned from his last spell and he's made improvements and he's been helped by the quality that we now have. It seems like he's got the respect of the fans. Definitely, definitely. He's, um, he's well and truly earned it. I think there were quite a few of us that we didn't want him to stay on last spell, but we felt bad because he did the job and he definitely deserved a chance but again we didn't think it was the right thing to do if that makes sense but obviously when he was first appointed um there was outlaw like no one wanted it um and he's he's proved us all wrong so he's well and truly earned our respect and his chance to build this team and yeah he deserves nothing but praise and respect for what he's doing at the moment so yeah <laughs> you you spoke about how in the, in the first stint, he didn't have the ability to push you on once he got you out the relegation zone and out of danger. Do you think mm. there's anything you can pinpoint in this season that's that's changed that and that's actually make you to, you know, week in, week out contest for the top spot and, you know, fight for the position that you're in? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, he's now got more control over transfers. So whereas in his first spell, obviously I think, quite common knowledge that David Sullivan likes to meddle with the transfers and he bullies managers into getting the players that he wants, which is ridiculous. And we all, we all hate David Sullivan. We all hate our <laughs> So, um, yeah, um, he's got the respect of the board 
and he's made them back off, which we all love, obviously, and gives him more control over the team. So he brought in Jared Bowen and Thomas Suchek, which they've they've been superb, especially Suchek. They they've been difference. They were the difference in us staying up, and probably the difference in us competing at the level we are this this year as well. So I think that's what's changed. Really, he's now got control over who he brings in, so he can make it his team. Can you can you give the board any credit because they they did bring Moyes back in? Yeah, yeah. I think as much as we don't like him for the past, and we they can't really be forgived for the past, but they do seem to be not on the verge of turning a page. Like I think if we if we qualify for Champions League or Europa League this season, and they then go in the summer and back Moyes fully and completely, then I think many people will start to forget about what has happened and if they can continue to back Moyes and improve the team like they promised then they might start to be forgiven so they definitely deserve credit for bringing Moyes back which is ultimately turned out to be the right choice um, and they have forked out occasionally for when Moyes has wanted players so they've got to get again respect for that but it's a long time before they get more credit than they deserve if that makes sense you, you touched on something there that I was going to ask you about at the end of the interview, but since you've touched on it, I'm going to bring it up now. You you just mentioned the top four, which obviously oh. is an incredible thing to be speaking about from a West Ham's yeah. a West Ham fan's point of view. Do you genuinely think you could do it? Do you think you could finish in the top four? Well, anything's possible this season, and there's there's no reason why we can't. And I think it's unlikely, but stranger things have happened. So I think more likely than not, we won't. I think fifth or sixth is where I'm hoping we'll finish. I'll, obviously, I'd be over the moon if we finished in fourth, but that's going to take a massive, massive effort. And we've got a couple of challenging games coming up, obviously. We've got a tough run of fixtures. So if we come through that with a decent amount of points, then it's a fair game. That fourth spot is, is anyone's, I think. So to answer your question, I would say... I don't think so, but it's a possibility. And Jack, this is something as well, just like, no, I wanted to ask at the end of the interview, but you <laughs> yeah. just brought it up again there. And, you know, the upcoming fixtures that you've got, you've got Manchester City coming up. You know, do you, as, as Noah said, it's like, there you say, you, you might have a chance, you know, you might have a chance at European um, European football. Do you have a chance against City on the weekend? Because to me, you look like you don't have a bet you know, if you have the ideal form to kind of take it to City right now, but they're also a fantastic form. So how do you how do you see your chances there? Obviously, playing City, I think most teams would usually write it off. I think we got managed to get a point against them earlier in the season at London Stadium. We were winning for most of the game as well. So obviously, I think it's probably fair to say that we're City and West Ham are probably the two most informed sides at the moment. So. It'll be definitely definitely a good good game. I think potentially if we play really well, we can go and get a draw. But obviously they've they're a fantastic side and you can't really take anything away from them. So it's a bit like Champions League thing, it's a possibility, but I don't I don't think it's likely that we we beat them. It, it might be. I think if we're on form, we can definitely It might be a Champions League fixture next season. It's true, it's true. You never know. Um, 
Oh, it's tough. It's tough to be honest. It would depend on. I don't know if City have got any injuries or not, but um, I think we're all injury-wise. I think we're all fit and un- unscathed. So you never know. You never know. Jack, before I ask you who's been the star performer this season, we've we've spoken a lot about Europe. Is it necessarily a good thing? Because hmm. we we've seen what happened with Burnley, uh, and I remember when Watford were actually looking likely to get a Europa League spot they didn't but the talk of the town was actually we weren't that sure it would be a good thing because you go into Europe and all of a sudden you've got this massive backlog of fixtures uh, you've got a lot of traveling a lot of fatigue is it something that you're wary of see I I completely disagree with the fact that it puts a damper on a season I think the Burnley factor I think this is my personal opinion anyway. I, I believe that <laughs> that's that's just a scapegoat for their bad season that year. Burnley played, I think it was f- three or four qualifying games. That's only three or four extra games. And that was in August or I think it was July or August. So realistically, that does not affect the rest of your season, in my opinion, anyway. It's true. It's true. You know, if anything, that would have made them fitter and had them, may have had, given them a better pre-season so I just think Burnley had a bad year that year. I don't think Europe had anything to do with it. Um, for West Ham, getting Europe is a it'll be a massive thing. It's only a positive in my opinion because it just puts you on that European stage for uh, obviously merchandise, more fans, people watching, revenue, um, and it puts you on the display for players to find out about you, and you can discover new players. So often, like. If Man United will play against Anderlecht or something like that, I think a couple of years they played against uh, Dendonk, who's now at Wolves, and he played really well against them and they wanted to sign him. So Harry Kane often, as well. Yeah, Harry Kane, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you quite often find players break through in those leagues or you discover new talent. So it's definitely only a good thing. And for West Ham, fans have been desperate for Europa League <laughs> in so many years. That's what we were promised, really, when we were when we moved from... Upton Park to London Stadium, we were promised European nights and we're all desperate, desperate for stuff like that. So it's only a positive in in my opinion anyway. Well, Jack, I, I wanted to, uh, instead of take you into the future, take you to the past and where you played uh, Spurs this weekend. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, a star man for you there. I think he's just been the talk of the town when, you, uh, when you've when you been speaking about West Ham with your Lingardinho, Jesse Lingard, yeah. uh, played fantastically for you, but not just... Uh, just him, you know, the team, I think what everyone says about West Ham, as you touched on as well, is they they are one unit, they are just one team and the chemistry is really there. And I think with that, they're able to grind out kind of gritty results like like how you played against Spurs. You know, it wasn't the the greatest of stuff and you really had to hold out for about half an hour there. So yeah. I, I think that's the character of uh, some some great teams you see the best teams do that even when they're having a bad night they're still able to get a result do you think that's the case and and are you confident when sometimes your back's up a wall in a uh, in a game and you're playing against people you know sides as dangerous as Spurs do you have faith in the team to see those results out yeah definitely um definitely more so than the past because quite a lot of the games this season if we'd been playing say last year or the year before we'd have crumbled and drawn or lost in cases and it's shown that Moyes has brought this incredible character to our to our side now, and we just don't give up. And yeah, we whenever we are in a winning position or we're holding on for a draw, I'm always confident that we will hold on to that. Or there's obviously little 
seed of doubt that creeps in because you think about the past and yeah and how sometimes we've bottled it completely but yeah that's, I think as you're saying it's a sign of decent good teams that if they can when they're playing badly they get results I think that's what Liverpool were doing last year when they won the league really sometimes they weren't playing their greatest stuff but they they held out and and they got the points and obviously that's a sign of champions I'm not saying we're going to win the league but um, <laughs> you know what I mean I was going to say I, I remember when we played against you last season we didn't uh, even have a good game it was you know it took a lot from us and as you said that's the that's the champions character right there yeah that was a sign of us bottling it I was guided when we did <laughs> yeah. I was over the moon I was yeah. celebrating oh, and everyone's like oh it's only West Ham <laughs> we, were, we were at the sports bar today, weren't we I think yeah we were we were better, t- oh. better times actually being in a bar watching football hopefully um, yeah that's exactly what's to come. Uh, let me ask yeah. you, I mean, Max teed up perfectly with Lingardinho uh, yeah. and you've got MC Moyes at the helm, Lingardinho. Who's been the standout performer this season in your team? Because Declan Rice, Uchek, Lingard, Antonio, you've got you've got a good selection to choose from. We have, honestly, every, it's been a massive team effort and that is a really, that's a really hard question to be honest because there's so many that deserve it really. So, <laughs> Ah, it's tough, isn't it? I've, I've, if, I'm not if right. I've, I've written down four, but I have to choose from <laughs> one of them. Who are your um, Who are your four? Who are your four? I'll tell you my four. My four are Suchek, Ogbonna, Antonio, and Sufal. Okay, there's I'm an interesting one. Antonio. There. Do you think that that's quite a common four? If 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 we asked a hundred West Ham fans, I think most would say those those four. I reckon so. The reason I've not got Rice on there is because he just he, he you just get the same from him really. You can rely on him. He's just so reliable, and we all. I think the credit deserves to go to someone else this time. I think. Um, you can see the cogs turning. <laughs> you can yeah, see him really trying to. I'm gonna. I think I'm probably gonna have to say Suchek for his for his goals that he's brought. He's and he's a really good. He's a really good defender as well, and he's he's that box to box really that we've been craving for for years since probably since we lost Scott Parker. I'd say. But yeah, I think I'm probably going to say Suchek. I think Ogbon has been robbed there slightly, but <laughs> yeah, probably probably Thomas Suchek for the the passion he brings for the goals and his his great partnership with Rice as well. So he's been an absolute revelation for us. We saw it against Spurs, didn't we? Really, I mean that yeah. that, that Rice Suchek partnership, and also yeah, Su- not it's not just Rice tracking back, but then it's Suchek getting his body on the line and yeah. ke- keeping those goals out. They work so well together. They 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 just work well as a pair, and they allow each other to go forward when they need to. It allows Rice more freedom, and Rice has got quite quite a few good um, attacking attributes. Really, he's got a good shot on him, and now that Suchek's there, gives him the freedom to go and have a dig at goal. So, yeah, they just complement each other really well, and it's a fantastic partnership that hopefully we'll have for at least a couple more years. Jack, let me ask you about fans. No fans allowed in stadiums. Obviously, that's been the case for the last year or so. Um, uh, and it, this has been West Ham's best season since the 80s. Is that a coincidence? Because, look, West Ham fans are very critical, like all football fans. But it seems to be that, especially at West Ham, because of the situation with owners and the board, things in the last few seasons have been very negative. And I said this to Max before we started recording it can go both ways because teams like Arsenal and Wolves needed fans to give them a kick up the arse and uh, to get them playing better football. Um, 
because they were getting away with absolute murder. But do you think if there were fans there, you'd be doing so well this season? Because it, it kind of feels like with West Ham, even the smallest mistake, a little bit of negativity, uh, and it, it can have a massive effect on players. I think, I think it definitely has helped. It's probably con- controversial as a fan saying that, but I believe it probably has helped, especially at the start of the season, because it, it allowed the um, the negativity to like it, it just didn't allow it to travel over to this season really. So we had an absolute stinker of a first game against Newcastle. It was the worst I've seen us play in honestly years. It was awful, um, and I think if fans had been there, that would have probably put the players down a bit. So, yeah, our fan base can be very toxic at times. I think it all it takes is a little thing and then the London Stadium just gets a bit, yeah, gets a bit a little, gets a bit tetchy and toxic. And I think, yeah, towards the start of the season, it definitely has helped. But now, towards the end of the season, I reckon fans coming back would have helped us. Yeah. Because yeah. let's say we missed out on that top four spot by two, two or three points, then the fans at home, like if we were in the stadium, fans could be the ones pushing the players on to get those points. Do you get what I mean? I do. Uh, do, do you think there'll be a different environment though when you go back? Do you think now you've you, you realised that actually, you know, it, it's not always helpful being so critical. Do you think it will be a little bit, not more relaxed, I suppose, but you know what I mean? Do you think it'll be a little bit more laid back when you go back to the London Stadium? I hope so. Um, I think there definitely will be like a little honeymoon phase, obviously. Everyone missing our big fishbowl, but they'll obviously, we'll obviously be doing like, we'll come off the experience of doing well. And I think fans will be a lot happier than they were last year, obviously, because we're battling for Europe now, not relegation. So I think, and a lot of people will be happy to be back as well. So I think it should get better. And I think I'm ho- I'm hoping that those fans that were just booing for no reason will just have a look and see that some sometimes they probably were the reason why we weren't playing well sometimes because obviously playing under pressure week in week out that can't be good really so I think it I think it will get better and I hope that the fans that are the problem will see that hopefully. Well. Uh... Jack, you're a big fan of our podcast. We thank you for that. And um, Max and I every week touch on our teams, Chelsea and Liverpool. And there's a man that links Chelsea, Callum Hudson-Odoi and West Ham this week. His name's uh, Mipo Odebeko. He's an 18-year-old West Ham player who David Moyes brought on in the FA Cup against United uh, a few weeks ago, beginning of February. Uh, You lost that fifth round tie. And the reason I'm going to talk about Odebeko is because he came on for 59 minutes as a substitute at 18 years old and was then taken off by Moyes. Obviously, the same happened with Callum Hudson-Odoi against Southampton mm. on Saturday. Uh, uh, Tuchel, who's the new man in West London, brought on Adoy, uh, took him off to make a point, brought him on as a sub, took him off to make a point. What do you think about that? When You witnessed it firsthand a few weeks ago. As a West Ham fan, what was it like when an 18-year-old's confidence was seriously damaged uh, by someone who everyone loves in David Moyes. Mm-hmm. I think you can look at it two different ways. Obviously, we're going to, we're upset for him and like we, we can see that that's not, it will definitely affect his confidence, which is a shame, but there's also the side that 
if it's not working and they're not playing well, then it it does have to be done, really. Otherwise, you can't just let them continue to have a bad game, if that makes sense. So I think Moyes' case, it was a bit harsher to do so because it was his debut against the club that we signed him from. So Man United were his ex-club. So definitely a harsh one, to say the least. And I think that he probably could have just held on and gave him a bit more time. But at the end of the day, it's the manager's decision, really. I think he's taking it on the chin. I think he's, he's a good lad, so he'll come back stronger. And it's just, he got some experience, so I think he'll learn from it. I think Adoy's case is a bit different. I think Adoy's played a lot more games. And um, I think he's more mature in that sense to know that he was having a bad game. And if you're having a bad game, then you're at risk of being subbed and can't complain about that. So, not that it's on the same level, but it's happened to me before. So, I've been subbed on oh. five minutes before half time and I got taken off at half time, <laughs> even though I was playing for the best football I've played. You're, um, <laughs> you're making strides in the footballing world, aren't you, Jack? Oh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, well, United will soon be announcing my signing. I was going to ask Max's view on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Uh... I don't think it's suitable to be doing to players this young. And I was going to bring up the incident with Duncan Ferguson and, and Moise Keane last season. That's another um, another example of it. Uh, probably a bit more of an extreme example as well. But this happened to you know uh, a Moise Keane who's young and fresh in Everton. So, Jack, do you think you could relate it to the case more uh, more so than you can do with Callum Hudson-Odoi? Yeah, def- I think that's more similar because both in new environments, both young, I think... Keem is about 20 at that time. So he's a little bit older, but obviously it's a new league for him, a new country. So definitely more in Odebeke's boat at that point because they're both in new environments and getting game time. Because Moise, Moise Ken weren't getting that much game time, was he? So yeah, obviously I think he took it a lot worse. And I think Odebeke's taken it. From what I can see anyway, I don't, I don't know that person. I don't know that obviously. But um, yeah, you don't like to see it happen, obviously, to a young player. It's not nice, and it was definitely not nice for them. But it shows the character if they come back and come back stronger, really. So that's what I'm developed character, really, can't it? That's what I was going to say. Do you think it's a character hardening experience for them to go out and almost get their confidence kind of shot to bits, and then you know it, it tells you a lot about the the footballer when they come back. And do you think he's going to come back stronger from this, or I guess they can take it take it either way, can't they? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well. You need to fail in order to get better, don't you? So you can't, at 18 years old, have no Premier League or FA Cup experience, go out there and expect to be sick and against Manchester United, who were in good form at that point. So it would definitely, I think it would definitely help him in that respect. So he would learn, like, I need to do better in this and this and that. He'll come back better because we've all been desperate to see him play. And, um, We've not got a lot of him. We've not been able to see a lot of him. And obviously that that's why, because he's not really ready yet. Um, so he just needs to work on stuff, maybe a loan spell to give him some more first team football and experience. But I think I think both I think all three players involved, especially Moise Keane, he's come back stronger. I think there's no reason why Adoy and Odebeke can't either. Well, I, n- I never thought I'd be in a, a room, even though it's a virtual one, where the West Ham fan 
uh, is laughing at the Chelsea and Liverpool fans. But there you go. That's how, <laughs> that's how the world is at the moment. <laughs> Jack is loving it uh, over loving Zoom. It. He's, he's going crazy with his, uh, his little uh, iron crossed arms. But Jack, look, you're a West Ham journalist and uh, you've been a star uh, on today's podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. No, pleasure, absolute pleasure. And um, you can tune in to the Middlemen podcast and listen back on all major streaming platforms. But uh, from Max and I, and joined by Jack this week, thank you for listening. <laughs>